talk a bit about how you guys, how you know us. Yeah. So uh, I, I first uh, moved to New York a few months ago. And uh, at the time, I was just starting my job. Didn't really know too many people at the company I was working, I'm working at right now. And, uh, you know, first few weeks, I uh, tried to talk to a lot, as many people as I could. And then I stumbled upon Leo and Derek. And soon enough, I found out that we had a common interest in topics uh, such as finance, tech, um, and, you know, other subjects. And so as the weeks progressed, I realized that, you know, I, I could have some pretty deep, meaningful conversations with you guys. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. We just, um, right. we just have a lot to talk about. So, right. yeah. Okay, so hey, Leo, so what did you think about our trip to the Tesla showroom? Uh, yeah, I mean, so we got to we got to sit in a, you know, a Model S, right, and a Model X. Um, the first time I've sat in one, um, I mean, it was a pretty unique experience. Uh, like, they, they gave you full control over all the automated features on the screen, which is pretty cool. And even though, like, me and Derek were obviously not in there with the intention of buying one and i'm sure they knew that they were totally cool with us checking it out um i think the three of us had like first found out that we shared that interest because all throughout our training program was all the controversy was going on with the secured funding tweet um so that was definitely a hot topic at the time right i particularly enjoyed the fact that uh the sound system on in the car, the actually Model X, with the gold wing doors, was particularly good. And uh, Leo, he actually played a song on the sound system. <laughs> it was a song by Tyga, and was like blasting in the showroom. It was hilarious. But yeah, some of the coolest features, like you could, you could personalize it for each person that uses the car, and then. You sit in the car, you press your name, and then everything just starts to adjust, like the recline of your seat, how far your seat's forward, the height of the steering wheel, all that kind of stuff. Right, and also you don't have to close your door. All you have to do is put your foot on the brake, and it automatically closes for you. Yeah, right, and I mean, Tesla's marketing strategy is interesting because obviously they don't go through third-party dealers, and I believe they don't advertise online. Um, so they just rely on word of mouth. Um, and I know they've started doing like a pretty robust referral program where every referral you make, you there are certain rewards. Like I saw MKBHD, who's a YouTuber who does tech. He, I mean, because he's obviously in the public eye and like if he shares his referral link on Twitter, like, a few people are likely to use it. He shows some of the rewards he unlocked, like the ability to go and watch one of the SpaceX launches, or eventually you can get enough to get like one of their cars for free. Wow, that must be a lot of referrals for a free car. Yeah, but also I think that the Tesla's business model in general is actually viable. Word of mouth spreads quickly. The fact that they focus just on making the best quality product is probably the best business model to have instead of spending a lot of funding on marketing also um, subtly on the side of the showroom was the Tesla Powerwall I feel like the future of Tesla will focus of course they'll focus on quality cars but 
just the renewable energy sector if you know uh electric cars take off on a global scale like china is having a really large push on ev cars i think that tesla has a lot of potential for uh selling uh clean energy with their battery packs do you guys have any thoughts on renewable energy and the future of how we consume uh energy in our day-to-day lives uh essentially well, do you guys think that it's gonna be within our to- like lifetime that we'll see a wide wide adoption of it I, I i think it depends on the the country and the culture because i feel like in america in america there's such a there's such a culture to like race to the bottom to do things as cheaply as possible and like in order to like maximize as much profit as much as possible in the short term so whereas like more socialist countries like those in scandinavia um are willing to like sacrifice individual gain for like the better of humanity i i feel like america is too individual focused that it's going to take a long time if ever for them to adopt technologies like that or at least not until the point when it becomes more efficient or more economical to do so. We're now at a point where like renewable energy, whether it be, I'm not so sure which one exactly, but it's either uh, wind turbine energy or let's just say solar energy. It's at a point where those sources of energy are cheaper than traditional resources like oil so uh, but we continue to at least from the american standpoint we continue to have such a heavy dependence and uh on oil and a reluctance to change right you guys but maybe have any thoughts on why i think the main reason is because with oil you have a large established distribution network already set up you got, you know, tankers and trucks, gas stations with large real, real estate. But with Tesla, I think they have a viable future, mainly because they're they're the ones paving the way for the distribution of solar energy or renewable energy. And basically what solar and renewable energy requires for distribution is very simple. It's simply you need a bat- a battery. Because you all all they need is solar panels to take in the so- solar energy, and then store it within a battery pack that's that lasts long enough to power a home, to power a car. So with the Powerwall, that might be Tesla's biggest revenue generator in the future. Well, Derek, maybe you can educate me on this because I'm not too familiar with the subject. But is solar energy at a point now where? Um, it can store enough from the abundance of light in the summer to offset the lack of light in the winter. The thing with winter is that there's always going to be sunlight, even if it's a cloudy day. Sunlight, I think it was like at least almost 70 to like 90 percent. I forgot, but it's one of those numbers, 70 or 90 percent of light still goes through if it's a cloudy day. Right. So like. The thing like people say is like always wear sunscreen is because you're still getting like 70 to 90 percent 
of the UV light hitting your skin, which is why people wear sunscreen often, more often than the, than than not, right? So, so it, yeah, is that is that where it's draining its energy from specifically the UV? No, no, it's just taking from photons, like just any photon. Um, I, I'm not particularly well versed in the science of it, but I don't think it's just UV. It's just the fact that ninety to seventy percent of it actually comes through from through the clouds. So even if it's very um, like it's the winter, you'll still have enough energy to do most of what you need. And the thing with batteries is that you're able to store store it, right? So if you just had an electric solar panels, essentially you could only ever use whatever sunlight you get at that very moment, right? But now with their battery packs, you can store it and if they don't if they were on vacation for for a while and it fills up, right? That the battery power and they come back, it could probably be useful for, you know, 2 weeks, maybe a month. So it's it's not like it's not very uh it's very foolproof. You can use it for a long time. So Derek, do you think then that uh solar panels in New York would be a great idea? I mean solar panels depends on I mean, typically and you've seen the video where um Elon actually and Tesla actually set up a whole solar farm in Puerto Rico and that helps uh save a whole, you know, a whole city, and or a town that had a power outage, um, have you know electricity during that. Uh, I think it was a hurricane. So you can see how, but so with just looking at that, maybe you would need a flat area of land, but with New York, I'm not sure how viable it is. But I'm pretty sure, you know, there's enough surface area where light could. Uh, could reach all you know many points of the solar panel. Well, I think Joe makes a good point in that if we're talking about personal having personal solar devices, when you're in areas like metro areas such as New York, where you have such a high density of people, you only have a small amount of like roof surface area on a building to service like again a high density of people, but. Again, that's just talking about like personal solar devices. I guess the main fix here is to have like a central solar farm system, and then which is routed across the U.S. I mean, solar panels are pretty popular in places. Yeah, are pretty sunny, right? So like California, Nevada, Arizona. Uh, I'm just thinking like on the East Coast here. We have to face natural disasters like winter storms and hurricanes and uh, you know, God knows what other storms. So I'm just thinking maybe there's a reason why it hasn't caught on so quickly on the east because it's like as soon as they do, you might only use them for like a few months out of the year and the rest, they either won't be as effective or they'll just be plain destroyed. So I feel like solar panels, they're a good idea, but they're limited in that there have to be certain conditions that have to be met for them to be set up. Otherwise, I just don't think they'd be as useful as, um, you know, using oil to heat up houses or, uh, 
maybe use coal to like generate power. Um, I guess the point I'm trying to get across is there is a limit to these renewable energy sources. Like even if we go back to Tesla, what would you guys say is the biggest fear of driving one? I would say for me, it's not the autonomous or the powers of AI or whatnot that could kill me. I'd say the biggest fear is being stranded in the middle of nowhere. And because my car only gets charged, uh, like if I'm out of juice, I'm kind of screwed. It's not like I can just call AAA and tell them to bring me a few gallons of oil. Like they'd have to bring me either a new car or replace my battery. But I mean, is that really feasible right now? I don't think so. So point I'm trying to say here is we've got a long way to go. If we're going to make, you know, electric cars truly a viable solution for everyone across the country. I mean, I can agree with that. I think that this is more so viable in places like Nevada, Arizona, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Southern California. But still, mm-hmm. if they given if they had that opportunity of just relying solely on solar, I still think that's a pretty cool thing to you know achieve in 2018. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But it's just you have to think about the practicality of such novelties, and I think as much as these tech companies or car companies want to push consumers to use. Uh, or to consume different products, at the end of the day, people are going to go with what makes the most sense to them, whether it be on an economic, uh, whether it be an economic factor or just plain feasibility. Like we just discussed, uh, you know, it makes no sense for me to drive a Tesla in the mountains just because there's so many things that could go wrong. Whereas if I just had a regular old truck, that runs on gas, I mean, chances of me being stuck just wouldn't be as high. But but what's your fear there exactly? Because, I mean, especially like the newer Tesla batteries, they pretty much have the same capacity as um, an oil tank, a gas tank does in terms of mileage. What are you saying the difference here is? Assuming we're at a point where like Tesla charges are as common as gas stations. I mean, they could be as common, Leo, but I mean, you can't deny that it does take a ridiculously long time to charge your car, even with these new superchargers or whatnot. Because I think if you watch a lot of people trying to do trips with their Teslas, it takes like, what, 20 minutes, even more to fully charge a car. I mean, whereas if you just go to your typical gas station, you just stand there for me two, three minutes, pump your gas and you're out of there. Also, I would still not say that EVs are on or have the same range as a typical car. I mean, like, EVs trying to, like, go past 300 miles, even that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, automakers can claim that their cars can go 275 plus, but you and I both know in the real world, if you um, don't go at a steady speed, like 60 miles per hour, or if you turn up the AC, like your mileage is going to vary wildly. Whereas if you have a typical or regular petrol engine, like it's not really going to matter, right? I'm just saying that there's a lot of compromises you need to make right now to get the most out of your car. 
And for most people, I don't think it's worth it, especially at the price you're paying for um, cars made by manufacturers like Tesla. You're really just paying for a novelty premium. Yeah. Well, question is, guys, when you get that $35,000 bonus at the end of the year, would you buy a Model 3? I honestly, uh, I if, I, if I had to buy a car, if I really needed a car, that would be my first car. I would not because we all know that that $35,000 price tag that they advertise for the Model 3 is just, it's only true if you want the most basic Model 3, the one without all the fancy gadgets and features that they constantly advertise in advertisements and their uh, marketing employees. I mean, for $35,000, I just feel like you can get much more in a typical car. Um, and I hate to keep bagging on, or sorry, bashing on Tesla, but there have been known to be quite a few quality assurance issues. Um, so I would just take that into consideration. It is, it, it is pretty cool though, um, all that aside, that the fact that it's at a point where it's like almost half running on software, i.e. like Elon could just be browsing Twitter, he sees someone mentions him with a fun sounding feature, he tweets back at them saying, oh yeah, we'll add that in the next software update, and then before you know it, that feature's built into the car. So, but yeah, there are definitely pros and cons. I mean, I heard horror stories of due to like it's so heavily relying on electricity, um, someone, I think I read a story about someone's steering just stopped working all of a sudden, purely just an electrical circuit issue. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was all the power steering, um, and they ended up crashing the car. Wow. Wow. And it was, it was actually, uh, it was actually MKBHD as well. Oh. Oh, yeah, I think I saw this video. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, at least we don't... Anyway. We don't have to worry about this issue until we save up enough money. Today's episode is brought to you by Quip, designed with every mouth. <laughs> when dentists and designers work together to create a simple, affordable, surprisingly enjoyable yeah, okay. for everyone. What the hell are you talking? Okay, that's funny. Really? You know that you're gonna be ending up cutting all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hilarious. That's funny. I love it's like H three H three. Alright guys, so this past Friday, uh it was Black Friday, America's favorite holiday. Uh I personally didn't buy anything, but uh I want to ask the two of you if you, you grab some goodies. Yeah, so I grabbed something. Um so I was just on the subway on the way home from a nice Thanksgiving meal with a colleague. Um, and then it's just one of those really great moments of living in a city. I was on the subway, was browsing my phone, saw this deal went live at Best Buy um, for a home pod. And next thing I knew, I just jumped off at the next stop, popped into a Best Buy, in and out in a few minutes, back onto the subway and the home. Um, but I'd, I'd been like waiting to pull the trigger on getting a home pod ever since it came out. 350 was definitely above what I thought it was worth. And it was on sale for 250. I mean, it's still a bit of a stretch, but I thought it was finally time to get one, especially since 
they've been adding some decent firmware upgrades since it originally came out, so they're not afraid to, you know, make it a little better. They're not requiring you to buy another one. Uh, were either of you ever tempted to get one? Right. I've actually owned a Google Home, the original, $130, I think it was, $179 version. And I think yeah. that out of all the voice devices from, you know, Amazon's Echo and Google's uh, Home, I think that Google probably wins it when it comes to the actual software. You could argue that Apple Home might have the best hardware and the best sound, but I don't. Th I think it's undeniable to say that Google actually has the best uh, assistant. So, yeah, I, I've been in the position of owning like virtual assistants from all three of the main providers. So, the first one I got was a Google Home Mini. I think it was like a year or two ago, probably around Black Friday as well. It was on sale for just thirty bucks. So that was my first experience of one. Um, obviously the hardware on that one isn't great because it's just a small speaker, but it was just my college dorm room, so I didn't really need anything too crazy. Um, but I was pretty impressed by the uh, the voice software and its ability to recognize and have like fluid speech. Um, and then when I moved to my apartment in New York, I wanted to get something a little better, like a nicer speaker. So I bought a Sonos One, which uh, at the time it was only able to do Amazon Alexa and in all honesty I, I had a really bad experience with Amazon Alexa like I thought the app to set it up was terrible the user, the user interface was awful um, it kind of lacks much fun functionality because it can't use like Google's algorithm right um, which is like a big plus for Google the Google and since like I'm so heavily invested in Apple's ecosystem it didn't have access to like any of my calendar or um, Apple Music, that kind of stuff. So, and then with the HomePod, I mean, if you want to compare the hardware, you have to compare it to like the Google Home Max, which is around a similar price. I mean, I haven't directly heard the Google Home Max, but the HomePod's sound is impressive. And, you know, Siri, I feel like it falls between Amazon and Google. Right, how is Siri, like, has it improved does it still rely on Apple Maps, or does it also still rely... I believe they rely on some algorithm with Bing, with Microsoft's Bing search. Or does it... Can it actually tap into the Google search? So I think for anything search-related, I think it can rely on Wikipedia, which is obviously a good resource. And I know that doesn't, that doesn't solve all problems. Then obviously they have their own, well, I think they borrow their weather service from Yahoo Weather or the Weather Channel. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they use any Google services, but they are, they do generally tap into like some of the most frequently used services. Right. So when you actually search with Siri, is it with Bing? We could probably find that out later. But I feel like it is, because if they're not going to support Google, there's only a second option, which is the second best option, which is Bing. Or if they somehow created their own search algorithms, then that, then it's not that great, probably. You know? Yeah, and I mean, and I yeah. mean we compare, we're comparing it against Google and Amazon, but I mean, look at like some of the huge companies who like 
just completely fallen on their face with their voice assistants like Microsoft Cortana and Samsung Bixby. Um, right. Because the thing about these voice assistants and anything that requires um, essentially machine learning is that it requires a large amount of data. So essentially it learns from, if the more data you have, the more uh, trial and error you have to get, you know, someone's search correct. And the biggest, the guy with the biggest data, the biggest data set to improve it um, millions and millions and millions of times every second is Google because everybody's searching. Everyone's literally voting on what the best answer is by clicking on the, you know, the, the website that they actually want, right? So Google has the best data, essentially. And then comes being the second biggest. So if you want Apple to, to try to compete with Google, I feel like just software-wise, they're going to fail. I also believe that within the voice, um, virtual assistant and voice industry, a lot of these uh, big companies such as Google, Amazon, and Apple are implementing a razor versus razor blade business model where they're pretty much giving away these hard the hardware for free and I'm thinking that in the future we'll become the products we'll we'll be be buying subscription services for I guess you know Google Play or Apple Music so that's what they're banking on you guys think that that's uh, relates to you and various other products you use yeah I think I think the same thing goes for like the Apple TV as well because compared to all Apple's other products like as everyone as the news is documenting right now there's a general sense that Apple Apple are going too far with price increases but the Apple TV is really great hardware and personally I think it's like very reasonably priced like I almost can't believe it's the price it's at but I think that's another case of they know once you've got it, like maybe you're more likely to get invested in like the whole Apple HomeKit ecosystem with like HomeKit devices since that can act as a home hub or you start subscribing to Apple's TV service when they launch that next year. Right. I think that's very smart. The way you say it is that you're already invested in something that's a hardware. So hardware essentially takes up real estate within your apartment. In your case, the Apple TV, which is an actually big piece of hardware that's mounted on your wall or sitting in your the middle of your living room, right? You're more inclined to subscribe to, I guess, Netflix or whatever Apple tries to implement a subscription service to a similar product such as Netflix through Apple or even through Disney because, you know, they have a really good relationship with Disney. So I think that having an actual physical thing in your house just, you know, it just reminds you that, oh, that's an option. Apple is an option. Google is an option for my entertainment. Currently, I use Google Play. And the way that um, Google markets their stuff is they always bundle it. They always give you, if you buy, if you have a subscription to Google Play, they give you YouTube, um, YouTube Red for free they give you YouTube premium so you have no ads so I pay nine dollars a month nine ninety nine and I get YouTube no ads from YouTube and um, I have 
yeah, that's pretty much like you get two things for free, like one thing for free, and it's actually really, really um makes it really worthwhile. All right, that doesn't sound like such a bad deal. You get music for ten bucks a month plus no ads on YouTube. Sure. Yeah, that's the thing with the uh, Google Play and Google uh, YouTube Premium is it gets around the mobile device and it actually gives you more features. For example, um, I can listen to audio from a YouTube video with the entire phone uh, screen turned off. So you know how you can listen to podcasts that are t- like with in the form of a video and right. not have your phone you know waste battery essentially. I feel as if it's more so if you buy YouTube Premium, you get YouTube Red, which is YouTube Red is like YouTube content, which is which nobody watches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, as a quick, uh, I mean, as a quick, li- as a quick litmus test, if you type in YouTube Red, the only thing that comes up now is YouTube Premium. Oh, that's interesting. But I know what you're saying. Yeah. And I know, and I know, like YouTube Red didn't have the best start because they, it was basically a branding issue, especially like one of their main shows at the beginning was, like, scare PewDiePie, uh, and then he obviously had the whole controversy with, right, well, feel... saying the N word and like doing the the Fiverr Nazi thing. And um, then there's a bunch of like Logan Paul movies and yeah, like the thinning. Who wants to watch that? And he actually had another con- controversy. So I feel like yeah. if YouTube bets on these YouTubers, and they end up having controversies. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, do you guys do you guys watch many YouTubers? Are you into YouTube? Right. Or do you just mainly stick to TV? I mean, I think one of the main reasons uh, I mentioned having hosting this podcast with Leo and with Joe was the fact that we all watched h3h3's podcast on youtube i i feel like we also enjoy some podcasts from joe rogan's powerful experience yeah i mean i i don't go out of my way to listen to joe rogan but because just because he puts out so many episodes like since there are so many good podcasts out there it's sometimes hard to devote like an hour to listen to a guest that you don't really know but right but I feel whenever, yeah. Definitely whenever there's someone I know on there, like I'll always give it a listen. Uh, he seems to like have a good way at like personalizing with people. Um, so yeah, he's good. Yeah, I feel like um, I've listened to really three main podcasts of his, which was you know the Dan the Dan Bilzerian podcast, the Jordan Peterson podcast, and of course the infamous Elon Musk podcast. And that really nails it in the coffin for his, you know, really high quality content, mainly because he has these interesting figures who really know what they're talking about um, on his pack on his podcast. One thing though about Joe Rogan, and I mean, it's definitely not exclusive to him. I feel like he's, and just like anyone would in everyday conversation, I feel like he is like much more willing to just agree with the views of whoever's on his podcast, even if he has like polarizing people on from one week to the next. Um, so I can't remember if it was a Jordan Peterson one or maybe it was Ben Shapiro, but you know he's just it's just like too. 
It's probably Ben Shapiro. <laughs> yeah. He's the I mean... only person that would have a lot of, like, a lot of uh, rejections to whatever other people say. So, <laughs> if he's <laughs> that character, then Joe Rogan would probably agree with him somehow in a more, what do you call it, a more uh, forgiving way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everyone knows Ben Shapiro is great at making arguments, and of course, I don't disagree with everything he says. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the more outlandish stuff he said, I mean, just specifically talking about that podcast episode, you know, Joe Rogan just tended to agree with him, and it's almost just like two guys having like locker room chat. But when he's exposed, and you see him agreeing with Ben Shapiro one week, and then agreeing with I don't know, someone on the other side, the next, then it's a little, it's a little transparent. Yeah, Joe, do you have a specific podcast you listen to on your commute? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> my commute's only 15 minutes long, so I don't really have that much time to listen to a podcast, but uh, when I can, I try to listen to um, The Daily by the New York Times, just to kind of catch up on... Well, I guess well, national use, but maybe sometimes they sprinkle in a little bit of global events. Uh, for finance, I listen to, uh, I forgot the specific name, but it's by the Financial Times, um, where they kind of explain uh, like how they kind of break down the major financial events taking place around the world. Like, for example, uh, one of the most recent episodes was Davos in the Desert, held by or hosted by Mohammed bin Salman, and I'm sure you guys heard about the uh, journalist murder and how that turned into fiasco. Um, so they kind of broke down how this prince rose uh, through the ranks and you know became the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and how he was making tours around the world trying to build favors with different leaders of different nations, and then you have this incident right. which uh, I'm sure I wouldn't say destroyed his credibility but definitely damaged his reputation but I mean it remains to be seen how exactly this will affect his standing in the world I mean as much as people would like probably say that oh it's horrible that this uh, crime was committed because the allegation is that the crown prince himself ordered the murder of this journalist. And the truth is that this guy's money is highly influential. I believe, um, I forgot the exact amount, but Silicon Valley's guilty of taking in at least several billion dollars of his wealth. So I don't, with someone with that much wealth, you just can't ignore them. Um, but yeah, that was from the Financial Times and another more fun podcast I like to listen to is uh, the David Chang podcast uh, if you guys don't know David Chang uh, he's a Korean American chef he's famous for founding the Momofuku uh, chain of restaurants here in New York and uh, he just hosts different guests on his show talking about different topics like the parallels between professional football and cooking, or maybe how he's struggling with his identity as a, well, quote, successful 
Asian Americans in the United States. That's a lot of diverse topics uh, I like to listen to, not just from his podcast, but from the two others I mentioned. And I'm always willing to listen to episodes from other people's shows. So, uh, yeah, those are my three main ones. I think I've listened to one episode of Tim Ferriss's podcast called, uh, I, I think it was with Howard Marks, one of the greatest, really, um, value funds. He own he's a, you know, he owns and is part of the Oak Hill, um, hedge fund. And he just talks about how he manages money. And I think it was interesting how they were talking about what they related was how Tim Ferriss, which is famous for his four-hour work week and how um, Howard Marks, which is, you know, more of a traditional manager of money, how he considers most of his work upfront work. So everybody had this common theme of we do a lot of work upfront and then from there, after we make that investment, um, you know, it's just be- it just becomes sort of like passive income if you think about it that way. You know, if you make investments, you're doing all your due diligence up front. And once you put your money there, it's you just don't have to do anything anymore. You just sit back and watch it go up or watch it go down, but hopefully up, you know. So I feel like that, that was an interesting podcast. Thanks for listening in, guys. Whether you're a new listener or returning from the last week's success, uh, I think the three of us have had a busy November, but we'll try and make this podcast more regular going forward. Uh, thanks to Anchor for distributing the podcast and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and anywhere else you listen. Uh, make sure to rate and review us. It really helps us in a, as an up-and-coming podcast. All right. Thanks, guys. See you in the next Thank one. Thank you.